Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends. On the District Productive Network. Jamie, I want to play a little bit of uh, yesterday what Sean Spicer had to say about uh, where they're going on marijuana, because that was something that uh, during the campaign, Trump kind of avoided talking about, kind of didn't make it sound like he was really going to do much about. At least during his hearings, Jeff Sessions didn't make this a big deal or you know, at least promised some folks he wasn't going to make it a big deal. Jeff Sessions is very anti-marijuana, and I want to hear what the White House had to say yesterday about this. So, question for the Department of Justice. I do believe that you'll see greater enforcement of it um, because, again, there's a big difference between the medical use, which Congress has through an appropriations rider in 2014, um, made uh, very clear what the intent of what, uh, what their intent was. Uh, in terms of how the Department of Justice would handle that issue. That's very different than the, the re- recreational use, which is something the Department of Justice, I think, will be further looking into. Short version of that, hide your stash. Yeah, right. Uh, if you're in one of these states that has legalized marijuana, that is, and the federal government has essentially been hands-off about that. The Obama administration didn't uh, push these federal laws uh, about this. Uh that ain't going to be so true anymore anytime soon. And I think D.C. is going to be especially hard hit because of the influence the federal government has here. Uh, but if you're in Colorado, if you're in Washington, if you're in some of these states that just legalized marijuana, you know, Alaska, uh, that's going to be difficult to deal with. And, I mean, I'm not expecting wholesale raids everywhere of anybody who's smoking pot. But in terms of these companies, in terms of the banks that, have, that these companies have opened, I mean, this, this creates this could create an entire amount of instability. And Caveat here. Sean Spicer has said things that haven't come to sure, 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 sure. I, I, yet. I, I, uh, and, and I think that, you know, uh, people who are, you know, medicinal marijuana advocates might be a little relieved by what he had to say yesterday about how they see medicinal very different from recreational marijuana use. And that was something that a lot of people were alarmed about. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, he compared it to the opi- opioid crisis. They which essentially, is insane. This is a real problem that. It seems to be specific to Republicans who who have a, a real disconnect with what marijuana does. I mean, look, full disclosure, everyone knows I love pot. I'm a huge, I'm a pot guy. I love my weed. Yeah, let's kick us to the resident expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my time to shine. <laughs> Finally, something I know how to talk about. Um, experts. <laughs> experts. Uh, so, but like, for, first of all, this was a bad week for people who said, Oh, Trump is a you know socially liberal guy. Like he's he's riding this sort of conservative party, but like he's he's not going to come after gay rights. He's not going to come after your drugs. This week, I mean, if I mean, Sean Spicer said many many times that he speaks for the president, and so we've seen the rollback of protections for transgender students, which 
we never thought that he yeah, would have. So, so much for Jared and Ivanka yeah. stepping in and defending right. the GLBT community. So there's that. There's the pot stuff that Sean Spicer put out yesterday, which, again, he from his own mouth, he says, like, I speak for the president. So uh, Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado, said that before he voted yes for Jeff Sessions, which he did, before he votes for uh, voted for Jeff Sessions, I want to know: Are we going to be all right in Colorado? Because we're making so much money off of the weed there. Yeah, and he was assured that it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, no, it's filling government coffers. It's helping build new schools. Like they're about to cross the one billion dollar mark in money made off of pot sales in Colorado. One billion dollars. Yeah, Republicans, Democrats. Libertarians, Whigs, whatever, get on board with this because, like, it's printing money. And so, like, if they want to go there, and I know that, like, this is a certainly a pet issue for me, but, like, I also think that that war is over. That battle has been won and uh, by, I... by the pot people, and I don't think there's any going back. I, if you're, if you, like, medicinal pot, it like you have to be at least there, at least yeah. There. Well, and I, and I think it's amazing that we're looking at a Republican, a very very conservative Republican administration, yeah. at least, at least on, on on these types of things, uh, that they even are saying, oh well, we're not going to mess with medicinal. Yeah, I mean that 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 is a sea change. Yeah, from even five years ago when this was a fight that some Democrats didn't support. I mean, we we see states, uh, conservative states, passing medical marijuana. Uh, doing some cr- criminal reform stuff. Uh, and, and I think that, I mean, you look at the polls, this is not a red-blue issue. This is a generational issue. Yeah, I think that's true. And so I think this is one of those things that you see uh, going on where eventually, the you know, in the same way that I think we saw this with, with, with GLBT issues, um at least the G and the B in this, and I think the transgender issues are catching on a little later. Uh, but it's this is generational, and, and if you're putting yourself squarely in front of the rising generations on issues like this, that can be problematic for the party for a long time to come. That doesn't mean that this short-term fight, this short-term battle could get messy, it could get ugly, it could screw up a lot of states. This could cost states a lot of green, and I'm talking about money, not pot there. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, long term, I, this is one of those many things that Donald Trump uh, could do damage to the party for a generation. That I agree with. I think that this is a, a classic case of, you know, Democrats can screw up a two car funeral, right? Like that's the old saying, and they can, right? Like we can screw things up on the on the Democratic side, but and you can always count on that. You can also always count on the fact that. Republicans will always overplay their hand, right? And they have a the presidency, they have the House, and they have the Senate right now. And rather than govern wisely and stick to their principles, right, they're going to go for this giant overreach on, you know, taking rights away from women, from minorities, from 
uh, the LGBT community, from pot smokers, from whatever, right? Like they, they, like for the party of freedom, they really try and limit everybody else's freedoms, and they really kind of go nuts whenever they get power. They always shoot themselves in the foot. I I want to play one more clip from Spicer from yesterday because another aspect of this is sort of using scare tactics to put down something like marijuana. Spicer went so far as to compare marijuana legislation yeah, to audio. opioid yeah. addiction. When you see uh, something like the opioid addiction crisis um, blossoming in so many states around this country. The last thing that we should be doing is encouraging people. There is still a federal law uh, that we need to abide by in, in terms of uh, the medical, when it comes to recreational marijuana and other drugs of that nature. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, there have been that plenty of studies so that show that, that the whole pot is a gateway drug thing, uh, tenuous at best, doesn't really hold much water. Uh, you know, people who use pot at very young ages, you know, there's, there's studies that show, you know, that there's a lot of other issues coming in and maybe they're a little more susceptible to do, doing other drugs later. But overall, there's no evidence that people who smoke pot are going to do other drugs. No, right. sir. And <laughs> That's right, Shep. And so I, I think this is, is uh, th- this could be very chaotic for the Trump administration. I mean, look at, look at how things went when they tried to do some of their other more thought out, bigger proposals on refugees, say. That was not exactly a clean, clear rollout. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they move on this and whether uh, the Department of Justice under Jeff Sessions, who has been very, very harsh and critical, uh, he likes to harsh people's mellow. Uh, <laughs> on, on Don't marijuana. get high and listen to Jeff Sessions speak. It's terrifying. But he, you know, I mean, he had that joke, uh, and it was a joke. I think that people, you know, freaked out about this that you know that came out during his hearings about how he always thought that the kkk was okay until he found out they smoked pot and that was that was a joke but it was a joke that also showed where he is on marijuana sure uh, and frankly has and the moved. kkk <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i disagree with you on that but sure uh i think that uh it's it's telling and it'll be interesting to see whether what sessions told his co-senator at the time cory gardner holds or whether Sean Spicer is speaking for the president and for Jeff Sessions on this. And uh, this is, yeah, I I think people tend to laugh off marijuana, uh, but in the states where it's been legalized, this is an industry with politicians behind it. And people have seen uh, in Colorado and Washington, especially Colorado, uh, this is a huge moneymaker. And Colorado used to be a a red state. I mean, it was... Theoretically, a swing state. Sure. Uh, I mean, it still kind of is. I mean, Republican Senator Cory Gardner. Uh, if they're going to compete in places like Colorado again, I, I think this also gets to uh, the schism that we've seen in the election overall. The, the 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 drawing apart of more populist, older, whiter areas and more diversifying, younger, millennial oriented. I mean, Colorado has become California light in some ways. There are a lot of Californians that have moved there. Uh, we see, you know, we're just a mile from Virginia, which is rapidly changing. Uh, we see Georgia moving. We see Arizona moving. We see some of these other states moving. Uh, and we could see the coalitions really changing. But uh, this creates weaknesses uh, for Republicans in some places where they've been long comfortable. And if we ever see, you know, Texas start moving over for immigration over some of these other issues uh, based on these cultural issues. Yeah. Uh, because the the older populations that are angriest about this 
Yeah, and the furthest right on these issues, Democrat and Republican, are dying off. And millennials are just starting to really settle in, get married, buy houses, move in, get more stable, and vote at a much higher numbers. We saw that in the last election. Uh, the demographic shifts could really blow back against Republicans. Graham Vice with the New Republic. Okay. He and I were both at CPAC yesterday. So what yeah. were your big takeaways? Well, I think, uh, as was you know we alluded to a minute ago, I think that Kellyanne Conway, for once, uh, gave it to us straight, which is she said, uh, you know, by tomorrow, CPAC will be TPAC, uh, the conservative movement and this conference, which, um, you know, has over the years uh, had divisions between libertarians and uh, more uh, traditional conservatives. And then, of course, the sort of Trumpian factor last year seems to have co more or less behind the president. And uh, uh, I think we saw a, a lineup of speakers yesterday uh, that con confirmed that. Yeah. And I, I think we have seen a little bit of this over the years where, you know, when Rand Paul's really hot, all of a sudden you see a lot more libertarians. Right. Uh, you the know, campus crowd. Right. People tend to kind of ebb and flow with the, the guests who are going to be there. But at the same time, uh, I mean, it was fascinating. We didn't see any libertarians. We didn't see nearly any of the neoconservatives. We didn't see a lot of other tight, you know, paleocons, all, all these other different categories, you know, niches of conservatism. Uh, most of them were gone, and most of the lawmakers were gone. And granted, a lot of the lawmakers were there in the past because they're trying to build their national brand, planning on running for president. But they weren't around in, in the you know replacing the Weekly Standard writers, the National Review writers. Breitbart was an actual sponsor this year, prominently and featured all over this. Obviously, President Trump's going to be there in about three hours talking. Yeah. Uh, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> we had Priebus and Bannon. We had Betsy DeVos yesterday. Uh, we got Pruitt on uh, Saturday. I, I mean, it's it's basically it's it's Trump pack and. You know, when you hear a crowd that last year Trump bailed on this because mm -hmm. they were, you know, the never Trump folks were organizing a protest. They were going to disrupt and boo his right. speech. He was going to go. He didn't. And now Ted it, Cruz joked that he was afraid Megyn Kelly would be there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, they were chanting. The crowd was chanting Trump mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's pretty different. I, I'm curious what you thought of, of uh, Steve Bannon's remarks specifically. I mean, I think I think you know he, uh, you know the, the the tirade against the the media and the and the sort of uh, laying the groundwork that uh, the you know the war on the press will continue. You know, sort of unexpected. And and I think the, the the as 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 with Breitbart, the the main takeaway is just how mainstreamed he's become and how you know uh, he's sort of an honored guest along with Ryan's previous. Yeah, I mean, he, he made he made this comment at the beginning, like it's nice of you to finally let me have right. a speaking slot. Right. Uh, it was kind of ribbing Matt Schlapp, who is the, the the head of American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC. Yeah. And, I mean, e even having Schlapp on stage is a pretty marked difference. I mean, that was, I guess, two and a half years ago he took it over. Uh, you know, before Matt, who was very, you know, you worked for Bush, he was very friendly and pro-Trump now. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was Al, Al Cardenas, who was a close Jeb Bush friend, uh, was a buddy of Mitt Romney's, was, you know, a, a conservative, but a very, you know, kind of stab, like, you know, bringing together the establishment and the movement type conservative who's been highly critical of Donald Trump. So uh, it, it's interesting to see how far this has shifted and, and frankly, how much uh, Trumpism is kind of you know, in some ways, crush conservatism. I want to ask you guys a question because you guys cover this a lot more closely than I do. But you know, for all the talk about the dims and disarray, which I think is a, a, a real criticism, right? After the election, and, and you look at sort of what happened in the election. But I think that the Republicans, the Republican Party, 
is in just as much, if not more, trouble because there is a, I mean, they've lost the Republican Party. It is not the Republican Party. It is the party of Trump or well, Tea I mean, Party. It, and I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, can, how will they exist beyond this enigma that is Trump and Trumpism? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I would say that the Republican Party uh, is not uh, really in trouble. I would say that principled ideological conservatism seems to be in trouble yes. in that in that Trump uh, has basically uh, rendered it irrelevant, you know, for at, the, mm. at the moment. Um, so and and to your point, it, yeah, I mean, how how the coalition um, latches on to someone else, you know, whether it's um, eight years from now, four years from now or even sooner, um, it, it remains to be seen. One thing I was struck by uh, is even uh, some folks who in, in the past have been uh, never Trump or Trump skeptical um, people like Dana Lash, who is a conservative commentator uh, turned spokeswoman for the NRA, uh, gave a speech yesterday where she basically, uh, you know, sort of teased uh, conservatives who are still uh, harboring uh, skepticism or resentment about Trump. She said, you know, we, we all need to get together. And she, like several other speakers yesterday, laid out the ways in which she thinks um, even doctrinaire traditional conservatives should be pleased with the first month of the Trump administration. Yeah. So the nomination of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, the rollback of Obama administration uh, initiatives and and uh, advancing of, you know, uh, you know, small government conservative uh, principles in terms of regulation. Uh, Mike Pence gave a what I thought was a you know really strong, uh, you know, crowd pleasing speech uh, last night, just thundering against Obamacare and, you know, and promising repeal. So um, it just seems like uh, there may be a, a resistance against Trump on the left, the resistance against Trump on the right not doing so hot. Well, like, so, so, like, to talk about the principal conservatives and, like, where conservatism goes, right, like, I look at Paul Ryan, mm -hmm. right, who everyone talks about as, you know, the, he's a policy wonk, he loves the getting of the numbers. The Jack Kemp School. And, yeah. Yeah, the right. Frederick Hayek, and he's read all the papers, and he's written all the papers, and I, I think you're exactly right, and I think that Steve Bannon is bringing, and Steve Bannon ran Breitbart while it was blasting away at yeah. Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah. And it was actively aggressive yeah. uh, towards Paul Ryan, and now they've kind of reached a quiet detente slash well, Paul Ryan has folded. Correct. It, that's, it, that's how I would phrase it. Um, and, you know, there's him, times that he'll criticize, but yeah. To watch him have to go up there and talk about the wall and say, we're going to build a wall, and we're going to pay for it. Yeah. Like, it just completely neutered Paul Ryan, that he has to go out there and carry that, knowing that, like... That is so not what his people want him to say. Well, yeah. and some, sometimes his his press conferences start looking like hostage videos. Yes, yeah, they do. Yes. I, I mean, like, he, yeah, they he do. Gets, you know, he, he's a smart, uh, you know, power, you know, guy with like powerful ideas in his mind. Uh, and then you start asking about Trump, and he just he can go glassy at times. <laughs> I guess my only you know caveat to that is that you know. He, it, 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 they do look like hostage videos. He is, in fact, not really a hostage. I mean, if he if he decided one day he woke up in the morning and said, I'm the Speaker of the House of Representatives, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and for my, you know, genuinely conservative principles, that's like 
an op- he could pursue that line of I, you know yeah, attack. I think so too. Um, now there would of course be blowback from from you know Trump supporters in the base, but I, I think I think you know when we're assessing Paul Ryan and deciding you know how much credit and and sympathy we should give him, it's just always important to note that he is you know freely able to exercise his own agency yeah. uh, take on Trump anytime I, he wants. I think you're exactly right on that. I, and I think that that it's interesting going back to the point of the I- ideology here. I mean, it's not that there's you know, people are like Donald Trump doesn't have an ideology. Maybe he doesn't. Steve Bannon sure does. And I no think question. that uh, yeah, I, I, we don't get to hear Steve Bannon very often. And we got to hear him uh, talk yesterday about his principles. You know, we, we see him occasionally print interviews, but he was actually on stage articulating what he thinks Trumpism is and what it means and where they're going. And, and I just like to listen a little bit to Steve Bannon here, because I think we often just kind of write them off as, you know, there's some people write them off as fools. There, there's a, a serious thought put into the, the ideology behind what Steve Bannon believes, and I think we need to hear what he's saying to be able to think about it. Third, broadly, line of work is what is deconstruction of the administrative state. So I think, I think, I think the three most important things, I think one of the most pivotal uh, moments in modern American history was his immediate withdrawal from TPP. That got us out of a, got us out of a trade deal and let our sovereignty come back to ourselves. The people, the mainstream media don't get this, but we're already working in consultation with the Hill. People are starting to think through a whole raft of amazing and innovative bilateral relationships, bilateral trading relationships with people that will reposition America in the world as a, as a fair trading nation and start to bring jobs, high value added manufacturing jobs back to the United States of America. Yeah, and I think that that's important to listen to. And I think he said something right that the mainstream media doesn't get this. He went after the corporatist globalist media at a different point. Uh, a lot of people, smart people, some just don't give any credence to what he says because they don't agree with it or they don't really think that there there's a basis for this. And you know, while maybe not every Trump voter believes every bit of this or is you know read Breitbart and gets all of this, I think that the the you know economic nationalism, as he puts it. Uh, is a really important cohesive ideology that is driving a lot of this, and I think that that a lot of folks are still missing. Uh, and, and I'm just cur- curious, kind of. Well, you- I mean, and and you see, uh, you know, it's strategic as well. I mean, the, these issues, the 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 TPP issues, <laughs> the the sort of labor trade issues are uh, or were the sort of overlap issues where, um, you know, some kind of Reagan Democrats, you know, some people who had supported Bernie Sanders in the primary, um, uh, you know, uh, stipulated that largely um, white voters we're talking about here, but Mm -hmm. um, uh, where they, you know, came to Trump or were sort of uh, and maybe ended up voting for him. Um, So I think Bannon knows that uh, in terms of the coalition that put them in the White House, um, you know, these are, are central issues. And, and you're right, it's probably uh, politically savvy for him to, to focus on. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. I'm here with one of the great writers 
Emma Roller is going to be talking about her awesome news story. One of the greats, Hemingway, Salinger, Roller. <laughs> I, I, I think you, you got to be, you know, put that spin on the map with this piece folks, here. Folks, I'm one of the greatest writers you've ever seen. <laughs> folks. I'm just saying it is the era of superlatives. <laughs> yeah, I've right. got to get comfortable with yes. this. And, and this is a, a, I know you do great work and this is a good piece. And I basically want to talk a little bit about uh, what you had to say here about where uh, millennials are going and uh, what their political views are. Sure. Um, so I wrote a piece uh, that is on deadspin.com, which is pretty hilarious given that I know next to nothing about sports and Hashtag sports. Hashtag sports. Um, but they're doing political coverage on their site now, which which some people aren't happy about. Uh, by the way, I just have to say, I think that it's, I'm thrilled. I think some of the writing oh, yeah? that they have on there is great. Oh yeah, they have this great included. This it, included. It is also worth mentioning that Gawker never died. It That's just right. it's reincarnated in all of the Gawker right. media sites. Yeah. So this is yeah. kind of yeah, a reincarnation of Gawker, but I uh, went up to New York last weekend and covered the Democratic Socialists of America's conference uh, with their young members, young Democratic Socialists, and there were it wasn't just, you know, it was uh, in Brooklyn, but it wasn't just people from Brooklyn. It was you know, young college students and even high school students from states like Indiana, Ohio, Oklahoma, Texas, California, obviously, um, and Wisconsin, where I'm from. And so I got to talk to a lot of these young leftists at the conference and, you know, talk to them about where they see their, um, you know, the left movement going from here. Bernie Sanders has obviously had a huge impact on um, not just the idea of democratic socialism as a philosophy, but also DSA's membership as, um, you know, a sort of semi-burgeoning third party. Um, mm -hmm. Let me just grab this and look at the stats quick. Um, last May, the organization had 6,500 members, and now the organization has 17,000 members wow. with 100 chapters in 40 states. So, um, yeah, the Sanders effect cannot really be understated for DSA. Um, and it was it was a really interesting event to see how these young leftists are are taking the Trump administration. I think yeah. one of the interesting things that that the Democratic Socialists have done and what Bernie did with his run was sort of I mean, socialist was such a bad word. Yeah, mm -hmm. such a bad word. But I think that when you really look at it and you look at what Bernie talked about and you look at what people are talking about now that are with the DSA, it's it's very um, it is the language of what the Democratic Party kind of used to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Like mm -hmm. we stand for everybody like working people, working mm -hmm. people like you get taken care of. Mm -hmm. We take yeah. care of you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and, and people, you know, I think a lot they of people- They just forgot how to speak is, that language. Oh, this is kind of ended after, you know, when the Cold War started and we saw this huge break with uh, Democrats abandoning this. Not really. This was a, through the 1980s, this was still where the Democratic Party largely was. Mm -hmm. They weren't winning with it for a time. And then we saw uh, this really big fight within the Democratic Party, especially, you know, I saw Bill Clinton lead it towards the center, the DLC movement. Um, that kind of dominate. I mean, I, I think we saw some of this start in Watergate, where it was mm. more upscale, more socially liberal, environmentalist mm -hmm. type. You know, it was, it was the the, ri the richer social liberals versus the union members, mm -hmm. and I mean, you, you saw this shift throughout the civil rights era. But uh, I think we're starting to see 
a flat, you know, a, 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 the entire country move in a more populist direction. I think that especially sure. includes the Democrats. Obviously, this is a smaller, I don't want to call it fringe, but but definitely on the left side yeah. of the spectrum, even within, you know, liberalism, sure. uh, progressivism. Um, I'm curious what their thoughts are in terms of how the Democratic Party is handling Trump. And you know, obviously, these are people mm. who are probably a little more critical than sure. uh, even progressive Democrats, uh, you know, if they're outside the party. But, you know, where are they on, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. and where are they? Yeah. You know, how are they feeling about Chuck Schumer and the resistance mm. in general? Well, I feel like kind of the um, not watershed moment, but but an enlightening moment for me um, in covering this conference was CNN hosted a town hall with Nancy Pelosi, the House minority leader, um, with young Democrats and young progressives um, to field their questions. And there's this um, sophomore at New York University named Trevor Hill, who was slated to ask a question about at this town hall about um, kind of a softball question about the HBO show Veep. Mm -hmm. Um, And CNN was like, yeah, we'll have you do that. Um, But then he switched it up on CNN's producers during the town hall and stood up and asked Nancy Pelosi, you know, he he kind of said, which is true, that um, a recent Harvard University poll found that 51 percent of young people aged 18 to 29 do not support the system of capitalism. Now, that doesn't mean that all those people are socialists. Um, I think about a third of the respondents said they are pro-socialism. But the point was young people are farther left economically than Democrats in power today. Mm -hmm. And Trevor put that question to Nancy Pelosi as, you know, should the Democrats move to the left economically as sort of a response to what we're seeing with the alt-right and with, you know, kind of what was thought of as fringe conservatism being moved to the mainstream in the Republican Party. And her answer was she she kind of um, laughed it off and said, you know, I appreciate your question, but we're capitalists and kind of like shrugged it off. Very, I wonder very. if there's anywhere you feel that the Democrats could move farther yeah. left to a more populist message the way the alt-right has sort of captured this populist strain on the right wing, if you think we could make a, a more stark contrast to right wing economics. Well, I thank you for your question, uh, but I have to say we're capitalist, and that's just the way it is. It's a little dismissive. Yeah, so he and other left, you know, long, young leftists like Trevor found that answer unsatisfying, to say the least. Uh, and so to answer your question, Cam, I think, you know, the people I talk to are, are very, the young, you know, again, like you said, far left young voters I talked to at this conference were and are very dissatisfied with the Democratic Party's response to the Trump administration and, you know, have not seen the kind of resistance they want. Ben Geeman's joining us now. Emma at Emma Roller on Twitter. Ben is Ben underscore Geeman. I am Cam underscore Joseph for the Twitterati out there. And uh, Ben, energy expert starting over at Axios. Uh, What I sense, I think there's a lot of actually really important things that the Obama administration did because Congress couldn't move in terms of regulations that actually really bent the curve in terms of how much carbon we were, we were emitting as a country uh, per capita, uh, both in terms of development and and uh, keeping things from creating it in the first place, also like a big shift in uh, where we were getting our energy. 
uh, both macro and micro. And uh, can you just talk a little bit about some of those regulations? What would be the most damaging or, or, or the biggest delta, the biggest change of what a Pruitt EPA could do? And what do you what do you think the the biggest moving parts are here, and what do you think is likely to happen? Definitely. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, under the Obama administration, there were actually a lot of oars kind of rowing in the same direction that has led U.S. carbon emissions to be falling for quite a while. Some of those things the president had a fair amount to do with. He was much more aggressive from the stimulus onward, uh, in kind of a lot of federal support, both on the research side, but also on the kind of market penetration and deployment side for renewable energy technologies. You know, the much maligned loan guarantee program. We've all heard about that because of Solyndra. But in fact, the Solyndra piece was really an outlier. That was a pretty successful program uh, in spurring, you know, greater deployment of wind, greater deployment of solar. And there was a lot that the Energy Department did, a lot that other agencies did. Um, At the same time, and here's the part that's had less to do with the Obama administration, but really helped the carbon emissions profile of the U.S., Turns out we're just swimming in natural gas. Well, I don't know. Can you swim? Maybe you can't swim in your gas. <laughs> <laughs> Not advisable. Might sink. Turns yeah. out we are all just sort it of It depends on how much you huff, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Back to <laughs> Peter's area of expertise. All right. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not a physicist, so I'll leave that. Um, uh, but look, I mean, the U.S. you know has had this explosion in natural gas production over the last decade. Yeah, Hopefully, for not too many explosions here. But we yeah. don't want explosions either, right? Um, we've had this huge growth in natural gas production from the kind of uh, fracking revolution. We have all these resources from these uh, shale uh, gas formations, and that has allowed natural gas to really knock coal off of its dominant perch in the electric power sector. And what that means is when you burn natural gas to create power, you still have plenty of carbon emissions. I mean, look, it's not you know necessarily a clean energy source the way wind and solar are, but right. man, you still just have like half the carbon emissions you get when you yeah. burn coal. So the T. Boone Pickens argument for this whole thing. Yeah, um, you got it. And so, and- yeah, and so that's really, you know, the combination of the administration's work on renewables, falling costs for renewables, and the natural gas revolution, all those things have pushed carbon emissions lower. Hard to say how much that can be reversed or how much it would be reversed. I think you made a really good point before I came on about how people shouldn't necessarily assume this is just going to be a four-year presidency because, you know, the energy industry is kind of a big, big battleship that, you know, sometimes it can turn – sometimes it turns slowly, sometimes it turns more quickly. But point is, uh, for a few years anyway, a lot of things are already in motion, right? We've had a lot of uh, renewable energy deployment, and that's set to continue because I think one of the underappreciated things is how important – that kind of last second deal was at the end of 2015. Remember, in a spending bill, the Republicans said, we want to lift the ban on oil exports, crude oil exports. The Democrats said, we want a long extension of tax credits for wind and solar Mm -hmm. electricity. Uh, So that was the deal. They did both. And now that the clean power plan is um, basically under a death sentence, you know, President Obama's big carbon emissions regulation for Mm -hmm. power plants, with that going away and already kind of uh, frozen by the courts, you know, those green energy tax credits are a really consequential thing to at least backstop some of that uh, kind of federal push for green energy. But how much can Trump do? I mean, look, Republicans already passed a bill to unwind some regulations on Appalachian, or well, nationwide, but really it's uh, on on Appalachian coal mining, you know, uh, making it easier for companies to kind of dump the waste in and around streams. So they did that under the Congressional Review Act. Uh, Trump signed it. So they are going to roll back a series of other regulations. I think the most likely yeah. thing is they can't prevent they, they can't prevent coal from going into sort of a long term, you know, lesser role. But I think they can definitely slow that down a lot. Yeah, and let's talk about that specifically because I think that Trump kept promising to bring jobs back, bring yeah. the coal miners' jobs back. He kept yelling. Yeah, he's still talking about that. Mm-hmm. 
clearly they can do things that change how much carbon we're producing. But I mean, you're talking about pure capitalism here. They found new gas. They found new ways to get gas out of the ground. Uh, whether that causes other environmental problems, I think we're seeing a lot of fights over, and we're Absolutely. obviously seeing these pipelines are shifting things. It seems like they're built. If they build these pipelines, that actually might hurt the coal industry even more because all, all of a sudden you're you're seeing you know oil and gas become even cheaper and easier to move through the country. Um, how feasible and realistic is it? To all of a sudden see this renaissance in in uh, coal country uh, and jobs flooding back, or is this decline just going to continue even if it slows down a little bit? Yeah, I think basically what you could see is you could sort of stop the bleeding in a sense because mm-hmm. you make a great point that I mean, look, Trump has been while his sort of perhaps highest profile comments are about bringing back our coal jobs. I think he's talked about beautiful coal. Um, at the same time, he's very supportive and has indicated he wants to be very supportive of the oil and natural gas industry. And even though, you know, a lot of the high profile fights are between, you know, big fossil energy companies and environmentalists, there's some kind of brutal intra-industry battles here, right? And so, yeah, you might help the coal industry a lot. I think you could stem some of the declines in coal production that we've seen. But that said, if you're helping the natural gas industry at the same time, you're helping coal's biggest threat and biggest competitor. So it's it's a tough thing to bring, to bring right. back I mean, coal. You mentioned the biggest threat. I mean, the biggest threat, is it these Obama-era regulations or is it the fact that gas is cheap now? To coal? Yeah. It's, it's a combination, honestly. I mean, you know, you've had a lot of not just the climate regulations, but some of the other more aggressive regulations around traditional sources of air pollution if they don't, you know, enforce those or indicate that those won't be as much of a priority. So, you know, it's honestly, you know, it's, it's not quite death by a thousand cuts, but there's several things that are sort of hurting the coal industry. And, you know, to be fair to the Trump administration, there are things they can do that would help stem some of those losses. But that said, do, do the overall market forces change so much that it yeah. regains its top and position? That, that, to that gets back to Hillary Clinton's really bad Kinsey gaffe about <laughs> yeah. uh, these jobs aren't coming back in coal mm-hmm. country. Yeah. One of the biggest impetuses for the modern environmentalist movement, it was not you know green activists in California. It was in Ohio because rivers were catching on fire. The Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. Yeah. When the Cuyahoga burned, people reacted. Cleveland was one of the epicenters of we need to clean this up, we need to figure this up, mm-hmm. and, and became, you know, t- some of the national models we still use today were, were in response to what was happening with environmental pollutants in Lake Erie, yeah. and so I, I think people assume, well, you, you, you know, if you're pro, you know, you want to do a bunch of stuff about climate change and environmentalism, you're probably liberal and on the coast, and if you only care about jobs and you don't care about the environment at all, you're probably from these blue collar. There's a lot of nuance on both sides of this. And I I think people forget that Republican, the Republican Party has a very strong history of um, environmentalism. Nixon created the EPA. Nixon created the EPA. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, if you want to go back farther, was a huge proponent of national, the national park system. Um, So I think this idea that that the Republican Party has to always align with um, energy interests is is not necessarily true going back you know, even in recent history. Oh, for sure. I, I, I totally agree. And I think mm-hmm. there's some really interesting cross currents in front of Congress now as well, because, I mean, if you look at uh, something like um, uh, one of the main things that, you know, has driven deployment of, of renewable energy, it's the, you know, the wind energy production tax credit. I mean, sort of the grandfather mm-hmm. of that is Chuck Grassley, right? Yep. And so, I, you know, it's my information. A lot of jobs and money in Iowa for that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. tons of wind in Texas. There's uh, South Dakota, North Dakota. Those are windy places. So I think where you might see, I mean, look, Republicans are almost unanimously 
committed and on board and like the idea that some of these specific industry by industry regulations like the clean power plan, you're not going to see much if almost almost no opposition among Repu- in Republican yeah, ranks on wanting the, the regulations. Right. Exactly. Right. But if they start to go after some of the things that you have traditional Republican support for around tax policy for renewable energy sources, I think you will see pushback uh, from Republicans in the states where those industries have become yeah. big, important employers like Iowa. And one of my f- favorite people to watch, and you mentioned Chuck Grassley, I love watching Lisa Murkowski on these issues because yeah. Alaska is so at the forefront of so many of these because it is, I mean, Alaskans get tax refunds. They get huge amounts of money for the oil, mostly oil, but also gas they produce. And they're all, it's the state's melting. I mean, they, they, they really feel climate change a lot more severely than a lot of other parts mm-hmm. of the, the country and the world even. Um, and so watching how Lisa Murkowski has handled this issue and Mark Bagwich when he was in, I, I, I haven't really seen that much out of Dan Sullivan who beat Bagwich, the Republican up there now. Murkowski is very uh, nuanced on this. And I think that you might in her see some of the future of where the Republican Party might go. And it's cur- I'll be curious to see how much of that the Trump administration and Pruitt picks up and how much of they, you know, Oklahoman who battled the EPA is much more of a traditional mm-hmm. oil Republican type. Definitely. No, where, I, where do you think Pruitt's head is at this? I mean, he's been kind of vilified and boogeymaned, and we got a quick answer here. But I mean, what's your sense of where he's coming in on this? How nuanced is he? I mean, so when he basically what he said in his confirmation hearing, and this has been the line of all of the sort of major environmental nominees, environmental energy related nominees from Rex Tillerson to, to Ryan Zinke to Rick Perry to, to Scott Pruitt. They're not, quote unquote, denying, flatly denying climate change. What they are saying is there's some human influence on climate change, but we don't know how much it is. But hey, that's so different than what the scientific consensus is, by the way, which is that humans have been the dominant influence on global warming since about the middle of last century. So that's about where they're at. Gotcha. So great to have you guys on. Ben Geeman and Emma Roller. I'm Cam Joseph from the New York Daily News. It's great to sit in with Bill. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys coming on. This is The Bill Press Show.